it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Final Drive. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you this afternoon. Want to thank everyone for having us tuned in. And of course, if you have not downloaded the Sound of Mobile app, you can do so it's a free download to any Android or Apple device that you may have, so you can join us with our conversation on the app. You can also call us the old-fashioned way, 251-694-1055. We always look forward to hearing from you and getting your opinion. And today on the final drive at 3.30 or so, we'll have Ronnie Brown, a number two overall pick for the Miami Dolphins and former great Auburn running back to give us his thoughts on the Auburn Tigers season and what the Miami Dolphins have been able to achieve along with Chris Gordy host of Locked On SEC we'll rip around the SEC to to look at the matchups from last week and this week coming up and five to six o'clock Chavez furniture talking football Scott Hunter Tracy Turner will be in with me to talk Alabama and Auburn's game from last week and their upcoming opponent this week so great show scheduled for you and last night Nick Wiggins we were treated to an NFL doubleheader and I can't recall the last time we've had a doubleheader in back-to-back weeks on Monday night football but last night Philly flies high and gets another victory under Jalen Hurts' leadership, and yeah, I can't recall the last time I had this many incorrect predictions in a because I said that the Rams were going to win, <laughs> and I went out on a leg and said the Buccaneers were going to win. Well, this is piling on to my weekend. We're getting all the bad takes get, out early. Get, get, get them out the way early. You know, I, 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 still I not said impressed it. by the teams that won, though. I didn't. I don't think Philadelphia looked that good. I do think that DeAndre Swift leaving Detroit and now playing, you know, in that run-heavy scheme yeah. behind that offensive line is doing wonders for him. Because I mean, he always had the potential. Looks like he's finally putting it together. And but Jalen Hurts still looks a little off to me. You don't you don't like the way he's playing? No, he just he just isn't looking like the Jalen Hurts from last year. Well, I know that 227 yards and a touchdown is a good day at the office. The two interceptions is a bad day yes. at the office for Jalen Hurts, and I know he wants to correct that, but it makes it easier on him when he does have a 100-yard rusher such as Swift, and Hurts is always – he can give you – 40 to 50 rushing yards well, easy. See, I was going to say, I don't think, I don't know if they're scheming against it and they're ready for it now because Jalen Hurts hadn't had a big run running game yet. No, I mean, I don't think had. he's had to. 
because yeah. when you do look at what Devontae Smith was able to accomplish earlier and now A.J. Brown, when he complains and they have their little flare-up on the sidelines, now you look at A.J., he's, he's woken up now. Nine yeah. receptions for 131, and he's getting it done. But the Eagles move on to 3-0 and and looking forward to, to see if they're one of the best teams in the NFL this season. I, I'm just still kind of at, are the Eagles not playing that well? I mean, yes, they're 3-0, I get that. But if you're really watching it, they don't look as good as they did last year. Now, is that just Super Bowl hangover? It's early in the season. We can win these games ugly just as long as we win them. Or are they potentially missing a little something? I don't know. It's too early to tell. No, I, I don't think they're missing anything. I know next week when you look at their matchup with the Commanders in a division matchup, they're going to be just fine. And I think that Jalen Hurts, it's going to be hard for him to duplicate and replicate the type of numbers that he had a year ago because yeah. you mentioned now that his accuracy was taken care of a year ago. He's just got to continue to take care of the football. Do I think they're a better football team? Well, last year, historically, defensively, they mashed a gas pedal on folks and only still giving up 11 points last night. Not too bad it's at all. Now, when you do look at the Bengals, it was a must win for Cincinnati. They're now one and two, and I really did not think that Joe Burrow was going to play. And it's kind of a roll the dice type of situation. Joe Burrow said, I want to be out there with my teammates. I want to play. Wind up throwing for 259, no touchdowns. But I think that he did hook up with Jamar Chase, something that we haven't seen right. him do for the first few weeks. I just feel like this Bengals team is not a good team. We know Joe Burrow is an elite quarterback. We know that Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are the best wide receivers the NFL has to offer. We know that Joe Mixon can run the ball. But I mean, when look when you're when you're basically fifty percent completion percentage, you can't even get over three hundred yards throwing the ball fifty times. You can't get a touchdown. Joe Mixon's averaging three yards a carry. Now look, the Rams, Aaron Donald, they've got some guys on their defense. I think the Rams are good this year. I say good, not great, good. But I just I don't think here's a bold predict prediction. I don't think this Bengals team is making the playoffs, man. You just, you can't, when your highest paid player is throwing for 80 yards a game, 200 yards a game, no touchdown and interception, it's just not going to be enough, especially in a division where you got the Browns, who have an elite, elite defense and forced you to have that horrible week one. The well, Watson finally showed up. Finally did show up. The Ravens, you know, you know, you never know what Lamar can do. They've... They already beat Cincinnati. And then the Steelers, they're looking like after that horrible week one against San Francisco that they're putting it together. It's going to be a tough year for the Bengals. The Bengals are right where they want to be, Nick. They have the Tennessee Titans next week. Now, the Titans are one and two. Yeah. The Bengals are traveling to Tennessee. So Derrick Henry and the guys have to get it in gear, but they're not going to do so against a confident Joe Burrow-type-led squad to where, look, they want to go ahead and even their record to 2-2. Two and two. So I know that when you do look at the Bengals' opportunity here to get to 2-2, two and two, it was critical that Joe Burrow come back last night. 
and not again throwing for extremely high numbers, but at the end of the day, he was able to gut it out and yeah. and earn his money, earn his paycheck last night and get a huge win for this franchise. I mean, yeah, it was a huge win. They needed that win. You hit 0-3, I mean, you're in potential. That, that can be some scary territory. I mean, we see the Minnesota Vikings, who just traded for a running back. They're now 0-3, and, and I'm already seeing the rumors that the Jets are going to try and get Kirk Cousins from the Vikings. So you don't want to be 0-3. Thankfully, they're not, but I just don't think this team has everything they need in the places they need them. Well, once again, the Vikings, just what the doctor ordered. 0-3 Carolina Panthers are going to be their first victim there because Bryce Young suffering from that ankle injury. Don't know if he's going to come back and be healthy. You want to protect your investment. You're already 0-3, but they the Vikings— They look better with Andy Dalton anyway. The, yeah, the Vikings have had an opportunity here for a couple of weeks in a row to not be over. I don't think the Vikings will start off 0-4. They can't. But they can't. this week, you do look at us getting started on Thursday night, Detroit and Green Bay on a Thursday night. Green Bay coming off of that shocking 18-point fourth quarter performance against the New Orleans Aints. And the Aints decided not to play defense when it counted the most. And they did have a kicker and groupie who had a chance to make his mark. You, you you let Lutz go. You bring in this young fella. And, yeah, he missed one. He missed the one to win the game. So that's why all eyes are on him. But in this situation, Detroit having a chance to get off to a 3-1 and one start. And the Packers, really, you look at them playing your Falcons, I guess maybe – what goes around comes around because the way that you lost to the Atlanta Falcons versus the way that you are able to come right. back and beat the Saints, yeah. maybe that's a lesson that was learned and not a loss. They didn't take a loss. They took a lesson, yeah. and they were able to flip it because I personally love love okay. because he is in a situation where – he was not going to touch the field as long as Aaron Rodgers was in Green Bay. That's right. I mean, I think he's doing a decent job. I haven't been too wowed because let's really think. The, the big game that he had was against the now horrible, maybe worst team ever, Chicago Bears. Right. Um, but they, he was missing Christian Watson and Aaron Jones against Atlanta. He was able to make that comeback. I do think that the Lions are a more complete team. I think they're going to get that win on Thursday. I was really impressed with the Lions' defense. Now, look, does it, Atlanta has some studs on offense, but do we have the scheme and maybe the quarterback in place to get the ball to where they can be maximized? Not necessarily, but the Lions' defense did a great job holding down Bijan, holding down Pitts. They did. Getting uh, the, Aiden Hutchinson. He, oh, like, he's the I real love deal. Michael Parsons, the Bosa brothers, Garrett, Aiden Hutchinson. Give him a year. He is going to be in that exact same conversation if he isn't already. Now, let's look at your power five there. Top teams in the NFL through three weeks. Because I know that week to week, everyone had the Cowboys at one yeah. after week two. 
There, there, there's not a team that I know that or a person I know that didn't say, man, the Cowboys right now are the best team in the NFL. Right. So right now, I'm going to say the top five in the NFL, I'm going to go Dolphins one. Mm. You hang 70 on the scoreboard. That's impressive enough right now. Tua I is put playing. Dolphins at one. I'll put him in the top three. Okay. So I've got the Dolphins at one. The 49ers at two. I got the Niners at one right Okay. Now. I have the Chiefs at three. I would put the Chiefs. I would put the Chiefs over the Dolphins. Okay. Just, you know, out of the, what they've done and you know they can turn it on. And look what they just did to Chicago. It w- they didn't win by 50, but they won by, what, 41? I've got Close I've enough. got the Eagles at four. That sounds right. And right there at five, it's a push between. Got to put Dallas there, right? Yes. In between Dallas and Buffalo. So <laughs> I, I think that. Buffalo's looked really good lately. Yes. That, that's a push right there as far as from my top five. So top five through three weeks. Not much difference there besides where you want to put your Chiefs and where you want to put the Dolphins and where you want to put the 49ers. And we know where we're going to put the Jets. They're, man, dude, Zach Wilson, man. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about the Jets and what Willie Joe Namath had to say. Everybody was praising the Jets after hard knocks. It truly is that hard knocks curse. You heard yeah. of the Madden curse? The hard knock life, man. It's definitely that for the Jets. We'll cover that. Talk a little bit of LeBaron Phylon as well. On the other side of this break here on WNSP 105.5. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive. And here in just a sec, we're going to hear from former Auburn running back Ronnie Brown. Before that, I got to let you know that if you don't have plans to watch the game, the Alabama-Mississippi State game, that is, this Saturday, you got to come out to the Stables Bar downtown off St. Francis Street. We're going to be giving away an Alabama jersey courtesy of the vault at halftime, and you'll walk away with a free WNSP t-shirt. During the game, they'll be serving $3 Sweetwater Lagers, $2.50 Miller Lights, and $3 Bama Shots. We'll have the bus right by the big patio so you can't miss us. Come hang out with us, the WNSP crew, watch the game, have some drinks, have some fun. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Not going to get better than that for a Saturday kickoff. The cowboy bells will be ringing and clanging, and we'll see what happens, Nick. That's right. Now, look, there's some news locally. I say locally, used to be locally. LeBaron Phylon, former Baker star, he committed to Auburn at one point. He decommitted. News breaks yesterday. He's found his new home, where he's going to go to school. Corey, where's he going? Rock, Chalk, Jayhawk. And one of the blue bloods of college basketball, LeBaron Phylon, now at Link Academy, 
for his senior season, having an opportunity to play with the top player in the country. LeBaron is a top 25 player in the country. He's the reigning Mr. Basketball in the state of Alabama. Accomplished so much for David Armstrong and the Baker Hornets basketball program. So we wish LeBaron the best. Again, we saw him verbally commit to Auburn. Coaches change. I thought he may shift to Ole Miss. Did not do that. You Verbally big, committed to Kansas. You got big NBA dreams, big hoop dreams. Kansas is a good place to go. Can't beat that. And you can't beat former Auburn running back, number two overall draft pick in the NFL, Ronnie Brown. Joining us next on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this terrific Tuesday. And it's always a pleasure when you can talk with an Alabama Sports Hall of Famer, that being former Auburn great running back, Ronnie Brown. Ronnie Brown, of course, is getting it done now with the Auburn Tigers on the sidelines, helping them out, the Auburn sports properties. You can hear his voice during some of the broadcast of Auburn football games, and it doesn't get any bigger than the Deep South's oldest rivalry. The Georgia Bulldogs, ranked number one in the country, will be coming to Jordan-Harris Stadium, and we want to welcome Ronnie Brown to the final drive. How's everything going, Ronnie? Good, Corey, man. How you guys doing? Absolutely. Good, good. Too blessed to be stressed. Want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the final drive. And I know this past Saturday, you know, it was a disappointing finish for the Auburn Tigers, but we'll go back to the 3-0 start that got them up until the point of halftime to where they were only trailing 6-3. to Hugh Freeze is probably a couple of playmakers away from really, really making a huge impact on the SEC moving forward. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's this. You know, he came in and obviously made huge strides, um, you know, dipping in the transfer portal, you know, getting some linemen, trying to create some depth. But, you know, it takes it takes time. You know, obviously on this level, competition so uh, challenging. It's, you know, you have to come in, get your players, um, get them to understand your scheme, trying to learn the players that are currently there that you didn't recruit. And so putting all those things together, it takes a little bit of time. Like you said, they're getting off to a 3-0 and start um, was really good. Texas a and is a good football team, was recruited a lot of great players. Um, I think we saw a few of those guys uh, on the defensive line for Texas A&M. And so right now it's just about, you know, trying to manage and make sure that, you know, you have an understanding you know, work out some of the kinks, obviously figuring that stuff out on the fly uh, in such a short period of time. So I like what I'm seeing so far. Obviously, he's going to continue to recruit. That's a huge part of this, um, you know, and getting guys in there um, with a little bit of experience under his scheme. And so, you know, where they've headed, you know, I like the strides that they've made. Unfortunately, you know, last week wasn't able to pull it out, but, you know, got another tough one this week. But it's just about, 
know, habit building, you know, habit stacking, trying to get guys to understand one responsibility, but also accountability and trying to get everybody on the same page and understanding that, hey, man, each one of us has to do our 111. And if we continue to do that, or I guess you would say 114, because if you include, you know, the coordinators and the head coach, then, you know, everybody's responsible for doing their part, being accountable to that. And if you can get everybody pulling in the same direction or pushing in the same direction, it's a lot easier lot easier to make a little bit of change you guys got a really tough schedule coming up georgia then lsu how does auburn stay locked in and focused if because i mean look they're going to be a heavy favorite to lose against this type of opponents how can they i guess re-huddle up after these two games and shake it off if they do lose or if it is by a wide margin and continue what they started early on this season with success and finish out the season that way? I think versus starts with mindset, Mitch. Um, you know, obviously, adversity creates opportunity, right? And so what it is, it's nothing different than the last couple of years. You're talking about a two-time defending national champion. Um, and so what they've been able to establish over in Athens um, is nothing short of, fantastic and so understanding and realizing that even you know seeing that they've struggled a little bit in their previous games you also realize the talent that they have over there being one of the top recruiting schools in the last couple of years and so you know with that in mind you have to control the controllables you can't give them extra opportunities you can't create penalties uh that self-inflicted wounds jumping offside false start um you can't turn the football over and so you know, that's just kind of doing the necessary things to give yourself a chance. Um, and if you do that, then playing in Auburn, you give yourself a little bit of chance. You got the crowd on your side and, you know, hopefully gaining some momentum um, from that aspect. But it's going to be a tough game. Nobody, everybody understands that, uh, you know, what we're facing um, as a team, Auburn football team, uh, what Georgia's been able to establish. Um, and so, realizing that but also not harping on it at the end of the day it's why you play the games as well like i said you know adversity creates opportunity and you go in there with the mindset if i take care of my business we get better we don't do some of the things we've done to shoot ourselves in the foot you know as a football team as of late you know you go out week one no penalties um you know no self-inflicted wounds no turnovers and then last couple of weeks you've kind of done all the things that you you know haven't done in the game It'd be important to not do those things to give yourself a football team we're speaking with ronnie brown former auburn great running back and deep south's oldest rivalry you graduated from cartersville high school in georgia a couple of questions for you talk to us about your most memorable moment facing the georgia bulldogs when you were in that orange and blue of auburn and what it meant to you to play georgia and what it's going to again mean to you to to take part of Georgia being the number one ranked team coming into an electric Jordan-Harris Stadium, knowing that they're the back-to-back national champions? You know, just as was about to this level, right? Like That's why we come play football in the SEC. I'm a Georgia kid, so, you know, obviously watching from Georgia and and, and so Going to Auburn, you know, we have friends. The majority of our team either came from, at the time when I was playing, either Georgia, Florida, or Alabama. And so 
you know, we had a lot of guys from Georgia. And so I knew some of the guys over in Athens. And so it was one that I always circled on my calendar. Um, you know, and in 2004 that I was excited about. One, that was my senior year. On a high note, that was really important. But also just like I said, the other teams, you know, and you know, having those, you know, little conversations, um, you know, and keeping the rivalry between the lines. But, you know, it's always good to have those bragging rights. And so, at, like I said, I had circles. It was important to try to beat Georgia because I felt like, you know, they didn't recruit me early on in the recruiting process. And so, you know, I ended up at Auburn, which was one, you know, one of the great decisions that worked out for me. But, you know, that still being a Georgia guy, you know, and even now living in Georgia, that's something that you always think about. And it was from a competitive standpoint, a competitive standpoint, like in this game, um, you know, just like the uh, um, old and things of that nature, the, the magnitude of that game. But for me, you know, for understanding the, the dynamics and the magnitude of the Iron Bowl, Georgia, that's the game. We, I want to win that one, um, along with other guys that are from Georgia. And so um, I enjoyed the rivalry. Like you said, it's the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Um, so that's important, the history of that game. A game and they got some dudes over there and so you know they've all that's always been the case from the thomas davises to the greg blues to the dj shockley to david green to you know all the guys that have come through the mark strauss so they've had a lot of guys level football and so being able to compete at the highest level you know in my opinion in the best conference you know it meant a lot ronnie also i know that you look at the running back room at Auburn right now, having been what Hugh Freeze called the deepest running back room that he's ever been a part of, and the injury this week to Demario Alston, and with him being out, I think that you do look at the ability here of Jarquez Hunter to have that breakout game, and Brian Petit has done a great job, but the depth overall in that running back room has been one that they may not have seen this type of depth since you and Cadillac both were together. Yeah, and that's a, you know, like that's a good problem to have because, like I, I mentioned, the the physicality of this conference, um, you know, it's a long season. And so to have, you know, Jarquez, you have Damari, like you said, who got injured this past week, who may be out for a few weeks, Brian Batiste, Jeremiah Cobb, who's, really electric. I like the way this young man, not only because he wears number 23, but I like the way that he's been able to come in and contribute and like his upside is so high. And so you look at the depth of that, probably going to need all of those guys. And, you know, each one of them brings something different to the table. Um, but, you know, I think it has to start with Jerquez, like allowing him to get started. You know, he's a strong guy. He's physical. Um, you know, and that's what's going to be needed in this game. Also, when you look at Brian, what he's able to do with his speed and getting outside and, you know, making guys miss, that's going to be important. And then it may be also important to you as a Jeremiah, who, you know, does a great job of falling forward between the tackles. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a running back by committee approach. Um, I like that idea because it's so physical and you want those guys to be healthy um, down the end of the road, you know, as you get closer to the end of the season. I think that's what helped Cadillac and myself out 
you know, for the most being able to, you know, give each other that rest and having, you know, to be able to compete at practice, but also push each other so that we're best in the games. And so I think that's another one of these situations. I think Carnell, Coach Cadillac, you know, has tried to recreate that in this room, create some positive competition um, to try to get the best out of the guys. And I think when it's a healthy competition, it it brings the best out of guys, and the games are the easy part because you have to compete with those guys on a daily basis. Ronnie, kind of switching gears from college to the NFL here, obviously you were drafted very high, and there have been a couple running backs that were drafted really high this year, some to some a little um, uh, skepticism. I, myself, I'm a Falcons fan, so you know I love some Bijan Robinson. Jameer Gibbs goes early as well. I'm curious what your opinion on those two backs who went in the first round this year are and what your opinion of the running back market is in the NFL as it is now. I mean, you played 10 years. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting crucified if you were to draft a running back as high as you were. And, you know, are they even lasting as long as you did? So I just kind of want to get your opinion on all that. Yeah, so I think from my perspective, I mean, one, just just kind of touch on the two guys that got drafted this year, Jameer Gibbs and uh, they, uh, Robinson. Like, they're special talent. Like, those guys are really skilled at what they do. Um, you know, they have a lot of speed. They can take the ball to distance anytime they touch the ball. Um, and so Jameer and Bijan, they both have, you know, first-round talent. Now, when you look at the approach of where the game's gone on the NFL level – it's so much about marketing. The emphasis is so much on the quarterback position. You know, it's it's tough because a lot of times they, you know, out-contractually do themselves in terms of a team because once you pay the guy as much as these quarterbacks are making, it's hard to fill rosters around those guys. Um, you know, my take is, as a general manager, like, if it's understood that, that running back's most best value comes, you know, in their first few years, I would think then you go ahead and, you know, get a running back early, get him in the prime of his career, um, especially when you're talking about not having the big contract, contractual obligations. Yeah, you get a big signing bonus, but you get them while they're in their prime, and then you being able to match that with, you know, having quarterbacks. If you pay the quarterback all this money, then it makes sense. Now, the other part of it that kind of gets overlooked that nobody talks about is the higher you go in the draft, it also means the worse your team was the previous year. And I think we don't look at that. And so for whatever the reasons were, like we just look at draft position. As a running back, you can only impact the game so much as a high pick. One, because if you don't have a quarterback, then they're probably you're probably going to see a lot of eight- and nine-man boxes. Um, you know, being drafted high means that your team probably wasn't that great. So from a skill set, from, you know, being able to be one 11th of the team, you know, the impact and the possibility is tough because you have to have other people involved, whether that's the O-line, the receivers blocking, being able to take the safety out of the box, beating some one-on-one coverage. So all of those things come into into effect. But I think it's, I think it would make sense if you drafted guys higher earlier because you get those four years, you get that fifth-year option um, if a guy's doing well and it's presumed that, okay, well, after the contract agreement's up, then who knows how much time is left. And so why would you give them the bigger part of the deal, you know, after that when I think the argument's, well, they start getting hurt. I'm like, exactly. If you think that, why wouldn't you try to get them earlier when they can get more carries out of them, more usage? And so I think it's just outthinking it. At the end of the day, it's football. And a lot of times 
we make it complicated. It's really simple, you know, and it's about see ball, get ball, run, tackle, um, catch, and it's the basics and the fundamentals, and that's like everything else in life. And so, you know, we start trying to think too much about it. Um, we have to be convicted about how we put teams together. Like we were talking about the Dolphins. Mike then had an idea of what he wanted to create, you know, and everybody's like, oh, he can't do that in Miami. That was San Francisco. Well, look at what's turned out. He knew he wanted some fast guys. He knew the type of scheme he wanted. He wanted it to be balanced. What he's been able to do with Tua, getting the ball out of his hands, um, you know, it's created some havoc for defenses. And so it's just about, you know, your approach, understanding that along with where this game has kind of gone to because, you know, from a fan base, we want to see more points. We want to see the ball be put in the air. And so with that, the odd man out is the court, the running back, which the impact of having a running game is really important. As you look at teams that win the Super Bowl, they usually have to be a balanced attack. You know, you look at how good, how great Aaron Rodgers has been, but when you don't have a running game, it's hard to win that game by yourself. Well, I tell you, I know that you you have some gray hairs like I do, but you would have been able to run a touchdown against the Denver Broncos. Ronnie Brown, I still think 23 would have enough juice to sure. go ahead. I, I might have been able to get me one, Corey. <laughs> you, 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 to see the Dolphins put 70 on the scoreboard, was that not most the most wild thing that you have seen from an NFL offensive standpoint? It was just wow, man. They had everything going. I'm talking about the running game, the passing game. Thing was working. And it's, as athletes talk, when we talk about being in the moment, being in the zone, like the offense was in the zone. Defense did their thing. But to be able to score 70 points, um, if you got a lot of help from Denver's offense because they weren't able to do anything with defense, but – to score 70 points, and you still had eight minutes left in the game. So, yeah. I mean, potentially, even and they could have kicked the field goal to break the record. And so, um, unheard of in this day and time. But I think that's where the game is going to. We see the ball thrown so much that, you know, I don't know how often we're going to see 70 points being scored. But I think with the rules and everything, it was kind of going toward the offense is more electric and making the game more exciting. But, you know, what they did, you have to take your hat off because you don't see that too often. And, you know, to be able to do that at that rate, they go in the way that they go. Professional game, like at the end of the day, you know, we're all professional. Denver had professional guys on the other side of the ball. And for them to score 70 points with eight minutes left in the game, that's just, I mean, that's, amazing like that's what you got to call it like it's everybody it's a wow factor R ronnie let me ask you let's say you're on that denver broncos team you're owing two. you go into miami you lose in that fashion what are you doing in the locker room after that game i think if i'm right i have to go in there and look at ourselves in the mirror and say listen before like the 70 points or is like we all have to evaluate ourselves honestly and like maybe it's too early in the season to make changes but you're like listen something's not working we got to do something we're owing to going into Miami and allow them to put up 70 points like together what we've established isn't working and that's from everybody like what I'm doing left isn't enough or on this organization feeling that because 
kind of got to look at it. And anytime somebody scores 70 points, changes needed. Got to give your credit to um, because they did it and they got a lot of talent. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to go self-reflect a little bit and say, okay, what changes? Because some need to be made. Like, what changes do we need to look at making? Um, you know, and so, you know, you evaluate that, you reassess, um, go back to the drawing board because at the end of the day, this week as well. And so, you know, you got to go in with that mindset of everyone needs to be better. We need to coach better. We need to play better. We need to draft better players. We just need to have accountability and a higher standard because um, that's unacceptable. That's, you know, you had a historical day um, put up against you. Yeah, that that's really tough. It, and it's unfortunate they ain't got their picks, though, because they gave them up to get Russell Wilson. Yeah, they did. And, and that's what's going to make it tough, Ronnie. And, and I know you, the game changed when you were in the Wildcat formation and, and NFLs had to adjust. NFL defenses and teams had to adjust. When you look back at your time, considered being a difference maker, getting in that shotgun, getting in that wildcat and being that difference maker. How did it make you feel knowing that defensive coordinators across the NFL and in college were having to adjust their defensive game plans to stop Ronnie Brown? I mean, it was great, you know, and it was an opportunity for me, um, not ever playing quarterback. Um, outside of Pee Wee, when I get the ball snapped to me, kind of in similar situations, and you just run around the corner, or run around the edge. Um, but to do it on that level, um, one, I was honored to be able to be put in that position. Um, but then, two, it just says a lot about the talent. Our group as running backs, you know, we were unselfish, trying to figure out how we could all get on the field. We had four running backs, you know, on the field at the same time. That was really a thing that we took pride in as a group. Um but then also just kind of looking at, you know, what we needed from our team. That's, you know, I think that was the situation where the coaching staff trusted us. And so to be able to be game plan um, as a player, you know, and getting the respect of other coaches and your opposing um, teams, like it meant a lot because that means you're doing something right. And so, you know, I took, an, I took um, honor in that, um, you know, and I embraced it. Uh, but it just said a lot about our team and, you know, we took pride in it and we made it work and, you know, it was a team effort, but, you know, I enjoyed it. It was fun being able to be out there with my running back. Um, you know, and we were having a good time, but, you know, it meant a lot on that level to be able to get that out, that type of opportunity. Well, Auburn, we, we want to thank you, Ronnie, for the opportunity that you've given us to talk about Auburn and your time in the NFL and what you're seeing currently in the NFL along with your Auburn Tigers and we want to wish you the best on the broadcast as part of the Auburn Sports Properties Network there that do a wonderful job your teammate Jason Campbell and Andy Burcham I know it's always a joy to be on the Plains, the loveliest village on the plane for Deep South's oldest rivalry coming this Saturday. And I know you'll super-duper enjoy it. And thank you so much, Ronnie, for always being accessible and taking time to join us. I appreciate it, Corey, Nick. I appreciate, you know, you allowing me to be a part of your platform, um, share my opinions. Um, and so, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys for that. Um, it's an honor anytime I get to come on your show. So, you know, best of luck to you guys, and I appreciate it. Ronnie Brown, former Auburn great, number two overall NFL draft pick, joining us here on The Final Drive.
Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Lavani along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. Want to thank Hall of Famer Ronnie Brown for joining us. Of course, Ronnie sits in with the Auburn Sports Properties on the broadcast on Saturdays with Andy Burcham and Jason Campbell. And we love getting his insight on the Auburn Tigers. We love to hear from you in the app as well. The app. When you look at people saying Auburn's in better shape, the quarterback hasn't been impressive in any game so far, especially those cupcake games. I don't think too many Auburn fans will argue that Peyton Thorne, uh, Nick Saban, he rolled out the red carpet for two quarterbacks having an opportunity against an undermanned South Florida squad. How'd that work for him? Well, not too well. It made... Alabama fans say, let's go back to Milro. Made Nick Saban say, I taught Milro his lesson. I'm going to roll back with Milro. You have to go with what you're dealt with. Auburn, I think if there's a better answer, Robbie Ashford, given the opportunity to earn the starting job, didn't do it coming out of the spring. The fall had an opportunity. Hugh Free said it's a close battle. Decided to go with Peyton Thorne, who he picked out of the portal. And I mentioned it kind of being like fast food. Just because you can order fast food off of the menu, yeah, it's going to be quick for you. Doesn't mean it's going to be healthy. You have to look long-term and what those effects are going to be for your program. Nick Saban, 7-6 and six in his first season as head coach at Alabama. People forget that. People forget that Louisiana Monroe comes into Bryant-Denny Stadium and beats Alabama. That's without a transfer portal. That's when you can't get your own players and you have to do it the old-fashioned way and recruit. Auburn is still a red-hot recruiting base right now. Hugh Freeze continues to pick up those he needs to pick up. We'll continue to do so. And this offensive line is going to get better, but Auburn is in better shape now than it was a year ago. And I know it's frustrating for Auburn fans because I know plenty of them. And, again, I went out on a limb and I picked Auburn to beat Texas A&M. Yeah. And it wasn't just a sugarcoat. It's because I really felt that they could. And for a half, the defense did all it could do. But when your offense doesn't answer the bell, there's nothing you can do. And if Robbie Ashford is the guy, you roll it out for him, how long are you going to keep him in there? Are you going to play him a whole game with no matter how many mistakes he makes? Because you, you sure aren't going to roll him out there against Georgia. Or LSU, you want another cupcake game for him to be able to do so, or are you going to go ahead and go with it? Yeah, I mean, look, it's growing pains. They'll get there. Hugh Freeze, he's just – they're going to win seven games this year. They're not going to do anything crazy. I, I said before that Texas A&M game, this is the game to decide where does Auburn's season go. Is this a greatest first-year coach debut at a new school of all time? Or is it just going to be like a, hey, a not-so-bad first year? And the way that game went, we're, here we are in the eh, a not-so-bad first year. You're going to have some wins. You're going to beat the teams you're supposed to, and you're going to lose to the teams you're supposed to. 
Well, the ship isn't sinking this year for Auburn. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's right. They're still, they're still building the boat. They're still building the boat, Corey. It, it, it's, it's, it's a process, and you have to respect that process. And they say if you get curve stomp every game, it's not better for you. You're, Texas A&M didn't curve stomp Auburn. Now, Georgia may. LSU may. But Auburn has not gotten curve stomped this year at all. And I think that Hugh Freeze has them on the right track. You just have to be patient, and Auburn's in a better place. The final drive, hour number two. Coming up, we'll talk to Chris Gordy. He has us locked on the SEC. We'll talk more about Auburn's quarterback struggles, Alabama finding their guy in Milrow, trying to go to 2-0, LSU, Arkansas, we were up around. The Sound of Mobile presents... The final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yeah. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable. Hour number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty. Joined by Nick Wiggins on this Tuesday. We want to thank everyone for having us locked in on the final drive. You can also lock in to our free Sound of Mobile app to where you can download that to any Android or Apple device that you may have to where you can correspond with us on our WNSP app. We'd love to hear from you. You can always call us the old-fashioned way also, 251 694 105.5 is how you can reach us. And on Tuesdays, we always reach Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC. Chris, how's it going this afternoon, my friend? It's going good. We are into the thick of it, heading into week five. And uh, I like to call this prove it week. This is the week where we start to see, all right, who's the legit teams? Who's the ones that are going to finish middle of the pack? Uh, this is a nice little prove it week for everybody. Well, it's our last year of division football, so it is truly last week. There were some non-conference games along with some conference games, and when you go back and you look at what was proven last weekend in SEC play, Alabama finds a way, trailing at the half, to have a great second half and send Lane Kiffin back to Oxford with an L. Texas A&M is able to have a great second half and really especially a great third quarter that makes a difference in that game. Truly home of the 12th man with Jimbo Fisher getting ready to make a tackle on the play. And you look at also South Carolina squeaking by Mississippi State. So conference games there, I don't know too much outside of Vanderbilt and Kentucky. We kind of knew where that was going to end, but you mentioned it. This week right here, Alabama on the road. Auburn looking to host the number one team in the country. Is Missouri for real getting in the top 25? And LSU Ole Miss, that matchup intrigues me also. Yeah, well, first off, um, Al uh, Nick Saban needs to stop trying to sell us the bill of goods, uh, trying to tell us that this is the toughest test they're going to face going uh, going on the road this week to Mississippi State. He said uh, he said yesterday, this is going to be a tougher test than our last two. Like, stop it. You know, Mississippi State is not good. Um, 
they are a mess right now. They don't know what they are offensively. They don't know what they are defensively. Uh, they got some players on that defense, but uh, no, I thought it was, you know, welcome back Alabama defense on uh, on on Saturday. It was good to see them play like they were, uh, like they're supposed to look. Dallas Turner getting some sacks. The defense getting pressure on Jackson Dart, and uh, they did a good job of keeping Ole Miss out of the end zone like they typically do in, in Tuscaloosa. And I thought Lane Kiffin. I mean, this was his best chance. And I, I said, if he doesn't get it done here, he'll never get it done. They. Blake Kiffin will never beat Nick Saban. He just won't. Um, Nick's got his number. And, you know, I think Lane kind of poked the, poked the bear last week and saying, uh, you know, I don't even know if Kevin Steele is running their defense. I thought Kevin Steele maybe took that a little bit personally and said, oh, yeah, we're going to show you. And, look, Jalen Milrow didn't do a whole lot, but he did just enough. And I thought the touchdown throw to Hale was, was great. He took a shot there and, I think as long as they continue to play him each week, he'll continue to grow in that offense, uh, needs to cut out the turnovers. But, yeah, um, I think they're going to be fine. If the Alabama defense can play at that level the rest of the season, they're going to have a chance at all those games. It's just, you know, what happens on the days where Milrow doesn't play great, uh, you know, the, the defense will have to be exceptionally good. So it'll be interesting. It'll be see what kind of, see what kind of punch they get from Mississippi State, who, you know, Will Rogers kind of harken back to, his old self for 400 yards in the uh, loss to, to uh, South Carolina. But uh, I know Nick Saban will have a plan for it. And, you know, night game, really late night game, especially for those who live on the East Coast who want to stay up and watch Alabama Mississippi State. But those cowbells will be clanging, and we'll see if uh, we'll see how Alabama does. But I think they'll be fine. Uh, Ole Miss, to me, is the real question. How do they respond after a loss to Alabama? Because I was saying a few weeks ago, is Ole Miss a fraud? This is the type of game where they can string together loss after loss after loss. They're getting a really uh, good LSU team coming in this week. LSU leads the SEC in total offense. Jaden Daniels is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think he's like top five in passing yards. So uh, I think they're hoping to get their offense going and maybe get into a shootout with LSU, kind of like LSU just had with Arkansas. I think that would be Ole Miss's best chance at a victory. But if Lane loses this one, man, this thing is really going to start dwindling because – that fan base was already perturbed with him with the flirtations with Auburn last offseason. If he starts to lose a couple of games in a row in SEC play, uh, they're going to really start to get fed up with him. And we go from Lane Kiffin having the wandering eye to uh, they maybe start kicking him to the curb at Ole Miss. So uh, that one will be fascinating to see as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the LSU-Ole Miss matchup. LSU gets out by the hair on their chinny-chin-chin in the battle for the boot because you look at K.J. Jefferson and the Razorbacks and Sam Pittman actually gave LSU all they could handle. But LSU, I think the home crowd made a huge difference for them, and they found a way to get it done down the stretch. Yeah, it, to me, the box score doesn't mean much in the LSU-Arkansas game. That, that game, is it's a rivalry game. It's been decided by three points in the last four meetings, so that just tells you that you know, no matter how good or bad one of the teams is, they're just always going to get up for this game, and it's going to be a tight, close game. I thought LSU had their chances to to pull away. You know, there was a chance, there was a time where they got up by eight and had a chance to get off the field versus Arkansas, and a penalty kept the drive alive, and Arkansas ends up going down and getting points. But I thought that was kind of a turning point. If LSU had gotten the stop there without the penalty gets the ball back and goes and scores. That's quickly an LSU up 15. 
and I don't know if Arkansas comes back and makes it close. So, uh, well, they just chalk it up there. It was one of those moments. But to me, the, the bigger issue is, that, and I was at the game. I was in Baton Rouge. It never felt like LSU was ever going to lose the game because they, their offense just, you know, they, they punted twice on their first two possessions. After that, LSU scored points on every one of the rest of their possessions. In fact, they scored either a touchdown or a field goal on every possession in the second half, including the game-winner field goal. So, yeah, uh, to me, uh, Brian Kelly, Mike Denbrock, they've got something special going with Jaden Daniels right now. And, you know, I think LSU's one weakness is their defense and their secondary. But uh, the, the problem is you got to score enough points to keep up with them. And it would not surprise me if LSU throughout the rest of the year scores 31, 35 points a week. Uh, the question is, on the other side, can the opposing offense keep up with them? It'll be uh, really interesting to see. I feel like one of the SEC teams that we talk about the least, at least here on our show, is Missouri. I mean, here the, here they are 4-0. They beat Kansas State. Now they're playing Vanderbilt this week. They're ranked number 23. After that, they're going to play LSU. They gave Georgia a run for their money last year. Is Missouri, are they legit? They're legit. Brady Cook has taken his game to another level. He's been outstanding. Uh, all the question marks about him coming into the season. If you guys remember week one when they were playing uh, South Dakota, uh, Eli Drinkwitz wouldn't even commit to him as as his starter. He kept saying, oh, you know, we'll see. We're going to play Sam Horman a little bit, but we're not going to announce a starter. I mean, they literally left it up in the air, and he, kudos to him. He, he's gone out there and played his butt off. Uh, that, that big emotional win over Kansas State two weeks ago was awesome. And this was a really good Memphis team that they beat. In St. Louis, Luther Burden went off the St. Louis native. So, um, you know, it's it's been fun to watch. They're going to go into Vanderbilt and beat Vanderbilt. A.J. Swan is banged up right now, so Vandy may have to start Ken Seals at quarterback. I think, I think Mizzou wins big this week. And then the question is, you know, uh, does LSU, you know, how, how does LSU play when they come into uh, Como in two weeks? And yeah, I think it kind of sucks for them as it's already been announced as an 11 a.m. game on, on ESPN. So it's going to be an early kickoff. If I'm Mizzou, I kind of would have wanted a night game. That would have been fun to see that atmosphere against an LSU. But, yeah, monster, monster game coming for them. They can't look too far ahead. They do have to take care of business against uh, Vanderbilt. But, uh, yeah, this will be uh, this will be fun. If they take care of business against them and they're 5-0 hosting LSU, it, it'll be a big, big one always pull for any local players that we have on a roster. Chris Abrams drain that dynamic player brought to SEC media days. And you can see why, whether it's as a defensive back or, or a specialist, he gets it done. So you want to pull for Missouri there. Now, when you look at South Carolina and Tennessee, Spencer Rattler versus Joe Milton III, South Carolina at Tennessee, a lot of people weren't happy with Tennessee's performance here the last couple of weeks. South Carolina squeaks by Mississippi State and loses that halftime lead to the number one team in the country in Georgia. This is one of those games to where Tennessee, so many expectations coming into the season, really based off the what was accomplished a year ago but do you see the volunteers losing at home to the Gamecocks well, it, yeah it, it's a dangerous spot I mean uh, the Tennessee to your point has not lived up to the hype yet and the scary thing is Joe Milton was kind of uh, favoring his knee uh, late in that game last week and uh, Josh Heupel came out yesterday and said he's fine there's nothing to it but uh, if he's not a hundred percent, you know, what does he look like? I know uh, they, they ran all over UTSA this past week, but UTSA was 
not very good. They've had some injuries themselves. But uh, the, the big thing that grace for South Carolina, look, Spencer Rattler has been lights out through the first couple weeks. He has really, really played well. Uh, he's eighth in the country in total passing yards right now. Um, you know, last week he was 14 for 14. He was perfect on the day going into the fourth quarter. He finished 18 for 20 against Mississippi State, but he's letting it fly. And a big reason why is he's got a stud receiver. All the talk in the offseason about Juice, Juice Wells. Well, Xavier Leggett has proven that he is the best wide receiver in the SEC so far through four weeks. I mean, he's got over 500 yards, three touchdowns. He is everywhere Spencer Adler throws the football. They connected on, uh, what, two touchdown drives, a 97-yard drive and a 98-yard drive last week. He is phenomenal. And they're going to bring that high-powered offense into Knoxville. And the question is, can Joe Melton and the Tennessee team keep up? Uh, the big thing for – or the big plus for South Carolina, too, is while their offensive line's not been great, they finally got a semblance of a run game going last week. So if they can run the ball in Tennessee and be a little bit more balanced – uh, I think they're in this one. Now, Now on the other side, Tennessee fans, they want payback. South Carolina is the one who ruined their season last year. We went into this game last year saying Hendon Hooker is in the running for the Heisman, and if Tennessee wins out, they're getting into the playoffs. And Spencer Rattler and South Carolina had other plans, and they spoiled it, and unfortunately, Hendon Hooker gets hurt. There's his ACL. He's done. Not only you know is his season done, he doesn't win the Heisman. He's not even invited to New York. And South Carolina or Tennessee stumbles down the stretch, and, and they're – you know, truly great season just goes to a really, really good season. And so, yeah, there's a lot of pressure from Tennessee fans. They want Josh Heupel to get revenge in this one and beat South Carolina. So you guys are right. This is kind of one of the underrated games of the weekend, but uh, certainly a lot to play for. And South Carolina, I think they want to show that they're one of the big boys in the East, that they're not just going to get pushed around. Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC, joining us this afternoon on the final drive as we whip around the SEC. Another great matchup. Is Billy Napier for real? Can they capitalize off of that first SEC win as they're taking on Coach Stoops in Kentucky in that 11 a.m. kickoff? Yeah, this this one is, is going to be awesome because it's it's a game that's just, it's you know, for years, Florida just dominated this series. And in the past couple years, Kentucky has found themselves. And, you know, I think it was like 30-something straight a row Florida had won. And now Kentucky has, has, has won a couple. They played the Dragon. I'll never forget, I had Benny Snell on the show over at, at SEC Media Days. And, and that year he said, we're beating, we're beating Florida this year. And lo and behold, they did down in, in Gainesville. They, they won in 2018. Uh, Florida came back to get them in 2019 and 2020. But the last two matchups, Kentucky has won, both in Lexington and in Gainesville. So uh, Kentucky is a 4-0. It's not a perfect 4-0. They haven't looked great. Devin Leary has thrown for 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. He does have five interceptions. But uh, Florida's defense has been up to the task, man. Austin Armstrong has done such a good job. Even last week in, a, in kind of an ugly game against Charlotte, the defense was just playing lights out. So uh, this is good on good, man. It, it, how good can Kentucky's offense and those big receivers play? against Florida's much-improved defense. And, you know, Graham Mercer, I need to give a hat tip to him. He has been so good just taking care of the football, protecting the football, not turning it over. Uh, this one could go either way. I I'm leaning towards Kentucky at home, but it's an early game. And as Mark Stoops said, hey, the folks of the Commonwealth, get up early, drink your beers, and do your part. Uh, it will be exciting to see what the crowd looks like. But, uh, yeah, this, like I said, this would go either way. But if Kentucky wins, guys, it would just be a big shot back down on Billy Napier, who got all the good 
uh, the goodwill on beating Tennessee two weeks ago to go and lose to Kentucky would kind of lose that. And the stigma of losing three straight to Kentucky would really stink for them. Are you at all surprised at this line for Auburn and Georgia? Now, I know the game is at Jordan-Hare, but 14-and-a-half is where the line <laughs> stands on that. And, look, that's, to me, respect to the home crowd at Jordan-Hare Stadium because there has to be some type of home field advantage or the odds makers know something we don't going into this game on Saturday. Yeah, my thought was, to, so do they think the final score is going to be 14 nothing? Because uh, Auburn, man, the offense has been bad. I, I don't know what happened. I know Hugh Freeze is a good offensive line. I know Phillip Montgomery as well. But, man, Peyton Thorne has been a big fat dud. He has not been the recruit that they thought they were getting from Michigan State. And, you know, I thought he was very hesitant with the football this past week. And I blame that a little bit on Hugh Freeze. If you heard his press conference last week, he said, you know, we're, we're instilling in Peyton to take care of the football. He can't turn it over. Well, yeah, good job, uh, Hugh. He didn't turn it over because he didn't take any shots. You didn't let him throw the football. I mean, the offensive line was terrible. They didn't protect. But, again, I thought Peyton Thorne threw the ball or held on to the ball way too much, didn't let it fly. He's got to let it fly. And, look, if he turns the ball over, he turns the ball over. But give me a quarterback who throws for 300 yards and two touchdowns and two picks as opposed to one who throws for no touchdowns, no picks, and 54 yards. I mean, that's just not going to get it done. So, um, yeah, look, I – I like the idea of this one being, you know, a little bit closer. And like you said, a 14-and-a-half-point line, you know, before the season, this line might have been like Georgia minus 22 or something. But I think that's more on Georgia. They played four games kind of uninspired at home. Uh, that South Carolina game, they trailed at halftime. And now it's the first road test. This is the first time we're going to see Carson Beck starting a game on the road. How does he respond? What if he's throwing interceptions and turning the ball over? This one could just be ugly. Good defense on good defense, and that's where I'm maybe leaning the over-under under 47 this week. But you're right. That line is its weird because you thought Georgia being the number one team in the country going for a three-peat, that they would run away with this one. And, uh, man, I just I have a hard time finding Auburn's offense scoring a ton of points in this one just because Peyton Thorne's been so bad. Maybe, maybe Robbie Ashford plays a little bit more this week, moves the chains with his legs. But Jarquez Hunter, get him going. What is the deal? Why can they not run the football with him? Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. But uh, Hugh Freeze warned us a few weeks ago. He said it's, it's going to get ugly here. And, man, it's getting ugly with this stretch of schedule. Chris, can't thank you enough as we whipped around the entire SEC schedule. It's a, it's a full SEC slate this coming Saturday. Last week it was not. Next week it is not. So all eyes on the SEC this week as teams are looking to move to 2-0 and in conference play. How can everyone follow all of your great coverage here as far as the SEC is concerned? Yeah, Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we've seen some great numbers. A lot of folks around uh, the conference checking us out. If you never checked us out, go watch us either on YouTube or download the podcast, Locked on SEC. We're talking all things SEC, getting you caught up with all the latest news. Cole, Cole Kublick even gave his stamp of approval to us a couple weeks ago on social media. So uh, Locked on SEC, check us out. Hey, look, I will definitely check you out and the YouTube podcast that you guys have. And just a little bit of news here. Will your Astros find a way to sew up the West, or are they done? 
I think they're done winning the West. I think they are going to get that third wild card spot. I think they're going to go up to Minneapolis and play the Twins next Tuesday. So I'm going to have to cover the SEC this weekend, then jump on a flight on Monday out to Minneapolis and go watch a wild card series between the Astros and Twins. So, uh, yeah, doing double duty this time of year. It's always fun. Appreciate you, Chris. As always, have safe travels, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, fellas. Chris Gordy locked on SEC joining us. And on the other side of this break, we'll talk a little bit about when you play your robbery, what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do in robbery games and how you increase a robbery. And Nick, if you can't hold it, then what do you do? We'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah. On the other side sure of the break here. That riddle. I don't know. <laughs> on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in. And before the break, Nick, I, I, I said when you have two robberies playing one another, such as Alabama and Auburn or Michigan, Michigan State, we've seen the ugliness of the fans and of the players at its best, right? Sure, sure. So – here we go with New Mexico and New Mexico State. Oh, the classic rivalry. In-state robberies, right? Yeah. Well, one sure way to piss off your robbery <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. is to actually pee on their logo. Mm. And that's yeah. exactly what happened as New Mexico's the Aggies quarterback, Diego Pavia, he got caught peeing on New Mexico Lobo's logo, their practice facility. He decided he couldn't hold it any longer. Can't be peeing on the Lobo, man. And he peed on the Lobo <laughs> of New Mexico. And, and I've seen some craziness in robbery games, whether it's from fans or players. But the starting quarterback wound up having a great game. He was 9 out of 14. 203 passing yards, two touchdowns, and one urination on the logo of New Mexico. Not a bad stat line. Probably hasn't been done many times. Man, and, and what's unfortunate is when you do sit there and you record something like this as a teammate and then you watch him flip the bird about their logo, this is the starting quarterback, and I've seen some ugly things happen in robberies, but to pee on the logo of your robbery, that, that, that's pretty tough. I mean, I was at South Alabama's game this week, and I saw something I haven't seen at a college game, and that was on turf, a player, as they were breaking the huddle, they got pretty tight in the huddle, and then one of the old linemen decided to puke up his lunch right there on the field. I saw a clip. Uh, there was a clip that went viral of a lineman vomiting so much. Like, I'm talking exorcism, projectile vomiting. But then he got the block in the, during the play. So. so what happened when this official saw him vomiting, 
he went ahead and stopped the game. And, of course, being on that turf at Hancock-Whitney Stadium, they had to get the medical staff to come out there with the gloves and clean up all oh, of the yeah, vomit on yeah. the field. But I have never heard of an opponent urinating on the other team's logo. That is a first for me in a rivalry game. But if you literally want to piss off your rivalry, that's one way to do it, literally. And that's what we saw here with New Mexico State, the Aggies quarterback, starting quarterback, not a backup, Diego Pavia caught peeing on New Mexico Lobo's logo. Well, it was the first time for everything, I guess. And who's to say this is the first time this has happened, right? This is just the first time video of this has leaked. <laughs> so. Literally leaked yeah, onto the Lobo. <laughs> so in more ways than one, Nick Wiggins for sure. Right. Now, on the other side, of this break here on the final drive. We'll have an opportunity to kind of recap what you see with LeBaron Phylon, the former Mr. Basketball in the state of Alabama, or current Mr. Basketball in the state of Alabama, verbally committing to Kansas, choosing Kansas over Alabama, Cincinnati, and Ole Miss. So that is huge for our local star now playing at Link Academy his senior season. So Congratulations to LeBaron Phylon making that decision to commit to Kansas. Had a call or just call. Wanted to clarify about the New Mexico State story. That did not happen during the game. No, it did not happen during the game. <laughs> he did it. He urinated during. during now, the, now, the vomit the story happened before? during the game, but yeah. he did it in the indoor practice facility. <laughs> and yet and still, whether it was pregame, postgame, getting ready to practice, yes. not too many friends made there no, no, during that game. Not at all. But happened, did not happen during the game. Not, now, if it would have happened during that the game, been something else. that would have been epic. <laughs> that that would have been, that been more than epic. That would have been more than, I guarantee some Hollywood writers would have come off their strike in oh, order yeah. to write that fairy tale immediately. That's right. If that's not uh, the sequel to The Water Boy, uh, I don't know what is. Yes, man. exactly. <laughs> and you got to be able to hold your water there if you are New Mexico state starting quarterback Diego Pavia. Want to send my well wishes out to Sterling Dixon Jr. Yeah. University of Alabama verbal commit. Watched him play on Friday night versus Theodore. Tore that left tore that labrum in his shoulder. Tried to come back. Wasn't able to do so and want to wish him a speedy recovery as he will be suiting up for the Crimson Tide next week. So well wishes for sure to Sterling Dixon Jr. And also, when we come back, good news for the Alabama Crimson Tide basketball program. We just mentioned LeBaron Phylon, the five-star recruit, where Alabama was able to fill a need at center with the five-star recruit. We'll talk about that and get back into the NFL on the other side of this break here on the final drive. Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive. And guys, if you don't have plans on Saturday, or if you do, go ahead and cancel them. Come out to the Stables Bar downtown off St. Francis Street. Watch the game with the WNSP crew. 
We're going to be giving away an Alabama jersey courtesy of the vault at halftime. You can walk out of there with a free WNSP t-shirt. They got some great drink specials, $3 Sweetwater Lagers, $2.50 Miller Lights, $3 Bama shots. I don't even know what a Bama shot is, but hey, if they hold those up to those Alabama standards that you talk about so much, they got to be pretty dang good. We're going to have the big... Uh, Air Sports One bus parked right there by that big patio area. You can't miss it. So come on out Saturday night. Watch the game with us. Alabama, Mississippi State at the Stables Bar in downtown Mobile. Good news for Alabama's basketball program. When you are coming off the school's first ever number one seeding in the NCAA tournament, and you're looking for a big man that can change the face of your program. Class of 2024, five-star big man is going to join the Alabama Crimson Tide, Aiden Sherrill. Six foot ten, out of prolific prep in California. It's huge for what Nate Oates is able to accomplish, especially with a brand-new coaching staff. Lost all of his assistant coaches. And when you're able to get a big man, the highest rated center ever to commit to the Alabama Crimson Tide. It's done at a time in which college basketball programs are starting their practice to get ready for their season openers here at the end of October, early November. It's that time of year to where when you double up on basketball and football, it doesn't get any better. And Nick Saban, not the only one who can get five-star recruits on the campus and get them committed to the program. Yeah, I mean, look, that's some great stuff. Alabama basketball, we know the storylines uh, from last season, right? I don't need to go back over them. We know what happened. Uh, th- their top guy is now in the NBA with the Charlotte Hornets. I think that this was this is going to be a um, – I mean, rebuilding year, quote-unquote. They, When you reach the peak of the mountain like they did last year and you lose the guys that took you there, it's hard to replicate that year after year unless you are a Duke or a Connecticut, you know, those teams that are always there in that mix. So getting a guy like this, especially that size, that position, that's going to do a lot for Alabama as long as he's there. So that's another thing, man, in the era of – players transferring and whatnot you just gotta hope that he's happy enough to stay there the whole time so we're just gonna project and predict that yes he is gonna be there throughout his whole collegiate career and if he is it's gonna be great for Alabama it really is and staying on that same basketball soundtrack you have national championship coach Kim Mulkey at LSU she just had a blockage in her artery close to 99%. And during the offseason, the doctors discovered that she did have a blocked artery and she was able to go ahead and have surgery. They get their first practice started. So glad that Kim Mulkey was able to take care of those health conditions and is doing very well for the defending national champions, LSU Lady Tigers, winning the first ever in the history of that program. So you look at what she was able to bring, the excitement to women's basketball and the basketball in general a year ago, glad that she's well. Definitely. Look, I loved watching her uh, 
in her different outfits every time. I was always anticipating what she was going to pull out that closet next. But look, you talk about her dealing with a little health scare. Famous NFL quarterback that dealt with a health issue in week one, Aaron Rodgers. We talked about the Jets a little bit earlier. And Zach Wilson. Um, it, it's not only that health issue. Yeah. You also have Bronny James. Yeah. You know his cardiac yeah, arrest how's, how's that going? syndrome. So he is still enrolled at Southern Cal. They started practice on yesterday. He has not been cleared to practice. He's still attending classes. So I think that's something that everyone continues to want to keep an eye on. But their head coach, Andy Enfield, still gives great progress on Bronny James after his cardiac arrest in July, which scared everyone. Yeah, and, and I'm sure he's going to get back to playing. Um, and, you know, I know LeBron and that and the whole James family, they're going to take it day by day until they know that it's safe. But sometimes these things are just really random like that, man. You know, it, it can just happen out of nowhere. And then maybe, you know, I know that they're getting the best medical care. Uh, so if they are looking and seeing, hey, man, like this is kind of just a random one-off, like we can't guarantee that it won't happen again, but we're not seeing any underlying issues that's going to keep returning. I think Brawny is hungry to want to play basketball, so hopefully he's able to. And as I was saying earlier, Aaron Rodgers, he's dealing with an injury and talking about Bronny being hungry to get back and uh, Coach Mulkey wanting to get back. Aaron Rodgers spoke with Pat McAfee, and he's saying that there's no way that he's not coming back. Watching the game, having to go through what retired players have to go through the first week when they're not playing, has that – have you thought about that at all? Like, oh, this is what retirement would kind of look like right now. Am I okay with this? Is there weird feelings? Like when that national anthem plays and you're sitting at home and they're scanning it all and you're out of control of anything, have you have you thought about that? What Like this is what the future looks like and what are your thoughts on it? I did think about that the first uh, the first week. And I, the first one that came to mind is I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch in the same way, honestly. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit my ass on the couch and and watch a whole game or watch the Red Zone channel uh, the first year. I think that's going to be tough. You so that was kind of every uh, confirmation I needed that I'm not done, that I want to keep playing um, because I'm not just ready to uh, find something else to do on my Sundays. Like I'm still invested. I still love it. And, and living and dying with every play, watching uh, our boys and um, pulling, for, uh, pulling for them to figure it out and, stick together and, and get through this tough uh, this tough stretch right now. A lot of dying right now. Let's get to living. I think they'll be able to figure it out. We'll stick together. We'll stick positive. Well, they better stick together because right now, Joe Namath is coming off the top rope about Zach Wilson's play, head coach Robert Sala, and general manager Do Joe Douglas What's he saying, man? running the franchise. Willie Joe says, look, he thinks they should go ahead and trade Zach Wilson. And if Sala and Douglas, they probably need to look for new jobs too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sala. Yeah. He, I mean, he's, he's throwing everybody under the bus. He didn't say, did he say anything about Nathaniel Hackett? It, nothing about Hackett. But I will say this. Aaron Rodgers did go on to say in that same Pat McAfee interview today, 
you know, about sticking together through the tough times. Well, yeah, they're going to continue to be tough times for the Giants, excuse me, the Jets this season. And no matter whether you, the only cure for that was going to be Aaron Rodgers starting at quarterback. And do you think that is part of the hard knocks curse? Um, I don't know. Not necessarily because, I mean, the Lions were on hard knocks last year. and They, they got better. They didn't have really any issues like that. They just got better, a little better. I think, but okay, uh, let me ask you this question, uh, kind of going off Joe Namath's comments about trading Zach Wilson. Who do you go for? I mean, Matt Ryan has already come out and declined that he would. He doesn't want to go play there. He's not trying to, you know, dust the cleats off and get back on there. Tim to go Boyle, play for the is he the answer? Tim Boyle, <laughs> is he the answer? I don't think so. <laughs> what well, about the rumor of of a Kirk Cousins trade? No, nah, I I don't see that see, happening. The Jets like, have already made too much. You can't right. have Rodgers coming back from a torn Achilles. And you have I mean, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins on, no. is the top ten quarterback in the NFL. You can't have them both on the same. No, nah, that's not gonna happen. You It'd know they odd. did sign uh, a backup quarterback to their practice roster, Trevor Simeon. Yeah. So you look at Simeon. He's not better than Zach Wilson. Well, is he is he better than who they currently have? Tim Boyle. Is he better than him? Who who knows? I don't but know. if you're the Jets. I mean, what other Look, what direction? Josh Dobbs. Out are you going to go? Josh Dobbs Man, is looking kudos, pretty kudos good. Kudos to Dobbs. Kudos to Dobbs. Seven he even years got his in the NFL. In the, in the gift shop, man. He's paying his dues. <laughs> was able to get that done. And going back to last night's action again, Philadelphia over Tampa Bay, twenty-five to eleven. The Eagles flying high. The Bengals over the Rams. The Bengals trying to bounce back with Joe Burrow and his calf injury. So we'll see exactly what happens so with this, that also. Are we just – are the Jets just punting this year? Man, you might as well. It's over with. I mean – See, and that's like Nathaniel Hackett. You got you to gotta punt. He you was the punt. offensive coordinator because they have Aaron Rodgers. And they know to how punt. to work together. And now all of a sudden you don't have a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Now all of a sudden he's the worst offensive coordinator in the NFL. Well, bottom line is the Jets aren't going to have a lot of wins in their future. And when we come back, we'll put the finishing touches before we have the Chavez Furniture talking football here. I want to get those sound bites from Kentucky's head coach, Mark Stoops, yeah. and also hear from Sam Pittman, Arkansas's head coach, to wrap up the final drive on WNSP 105.5 before we have it. The Chavez Furniture Talking Football segment here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. Welcome back to the final drive. The SEC, its slogan is it just means more. Even on an 11 a.m. kickoff, Mark Stoops with some words for the Kentucky faithful in the 11 a.m. kickoff versus the Florida Gators. New crowd just has a hard time getting to that level. 
I have great confidence in the people of Kentucky that can get up very early and pound some beers. <laughs> Why would you dis disrespect the, <laughs> this great state and the great Pound those ready. beers. They ready. At 11 a.m. kickoff, and before that means you got to get up and as soon as you brush your teeth, start knocking them back is what he's saying. He, he feels great about the Commonwealth State pounding beers early for the kickoff against the Florida Gators. Now, on a more serious note, Sam Pittman taking a lot of heat with the loss to BYU and the loss to LSU. Sam Pittman chiming in. You know, when you're a public figure, I think everybody thinks it's okay to bash public figures, people. That'd be musicians, coaches, you know, whatever it may be. And I'll be honest with you, I just got sick of it. And so I decided to. Now, my friend over here has told me I need to bring it back. Well, the only reason I had it in the first place is he's, he's so mad at me right now <laughs> that the only reason I had it in the first place is for recruiting. And I'm told it would do well for the university if I'd bring it back. I do not believe that you can hide behind a phone and address people as personally as what people do. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. And I don't think it's right for the kids I mean, I, I'm a counselor last week for my punter, for my some old linemen, for this, and that's to me that's not what it what it is for a bunch of people that's hiding to talk about you. And if you want to ask me a question, but everybody knows I'm fat, and everybody knows I got a big chest and all that. To do that. Who does that make feel better? Who does that make it's uh, not right? And I'm not – people say, well, you make a lot of money. It ain't got nothing to do with people bashing you personally now. And um, you, you can talk about my coaching all you want and this, that, and other, but going attacking me and guys on the team, it's not right. I'll never feel like it's right. And that that, that is with musicians. That is with any – you can't, as a coach, you can't have a political affiliation. You can't have a religious affiliation. You can't do anything, okay? But you can take it. Well, I got tired of taking it. I closed my Twitter account. So I th it looks like I'm going to fire it back up. <laughs> but but uh, um, that's how I feel about it. And all that's going to do is get some more people bashing me. So. Go right ahead. because Sam Pittman keeping it real about social media, shutting down his Twitter feed. Look, the bashing that he takes, he said it doesn't matter the amount of money you t you make. doesn't give you a right, right to continue to bash him and attack him personally. Look, all I know is I don't know if he can make it hosting a show here on WNSP. And that's <laughs> on the Have that app. tough tough skin. <laughs> that app, man. He'd, be, he'd done been disconnected his <laughs> account. Hey, look, it would, there would be no social media. Be no plugging it. No. Yeah. Sam Pittman with his Razorbacks right now at 2-2, two and two, taking on Texas A&M 3-1. It would be a huge win for Sam Pittman, and I think he's definitely. due for a big-time victory here pretty soon. 
And it needs to be now than never because if you want to have a chance to stay in this race in the SEC West, you have to have that big-time victory. And what better time to do it against an A&M team that handled Auburn in the second half and put yourself in a situation to where you're back to the talk of the SEC once again. Sam Pittman, you got to love him. He's one of those that loves to pound those beers back too, win or lose. But I respect Sam Pittman and the job that he's doing at Arkansas. want to thank Ronnie Brown, former great Auburn running back, Chris Gordy, locked on SEC, for joining us on the final drive tomorrow. Aaron James, the head coach at Tuskegee, off to a 4-0 start. He prepped it blunt. George Teague, Teague's takes. Richie Ryler will be joining us. Jordan Foote talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. But next, Chavis Furniture talking football. Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner next on WNSP. Huddle up. It's time for Chavis Furniture's Talking Football. Stay with us as Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner discuss Alabama, Auburn, South Alabama, the SEC, and college football around the country. Brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Clutch and Powertrain. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the Sound of Mobile app. Welcome to our number three. It's the Chavez Furniture Talking Football here. Scott Hunter joining me in the studio. Tracy Turner on the road. We hope to catch up with him sometime during this hour of Talking Football. And first of all, I want to say kudos to Scott Hunter having an opportunity to be the honorary team captain at midfield there, along with Johnny Musso. Two former Alabama greats at the Alabama Ole Miss game. Always great to to see Alabama legends such as yourself get that bestowed opportunity because sometimes, I mean, either someone passes away before they get that opportunity to, to do that or they're never even asked. So I know it was a tremendous honor for you to be at midfield at 2.30 in a sold-out Bryant-Denny Stadium. You know, Corey, all my time in Alabama, I never was the captain that walked out on the field for the coin toss. Coach Brown would say, you want to know, Coach, I'll be down there on the 20-yard line throwing to George Ranniger and so forth and warming up. I, you know, they can do the coin toss without me. So that's one of the – that's, I think, the only second time I've been out there for the coin toss. I was honorary captain back in 20-something other for the Arkansas game. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I wanted to give a suggestion to Coach Saban before the game, and the, I just never got a chance to get to him. And what I was going to suggest is, you know, the, the common practice now if you win the toss is to, to defer. And what I was going to say to him, hey, Coach, if we win the toss – skip the defer thing, and let's take the ball and send a message to the offense and Jalen Milrow. We want the ball, and we want to go down and score because that's what I always wanted to do back in the day when I was playing. There was no such thing as defer. We wanted a toss. We we wanted the ball. I love it. I love it, Scott. <laughs> of course, uh, 
probably if I had gotten that suggestion in, you'd have seen the state troopers escorting me through the tunnel before. <laughs> oh, man. man. I, hey, look, that would have been classic. Out of the stadium. That would have been classic for Scott Hunter to be escorted by the state troopers yeah. off making a, a, a saving suggestion, so to speak, there. But, no, it was it was a win for Alabama, 24-10 to 10 over Ole Miss. Wasn't a pretty – first half by the Crimson Tide and Jalen Milrow to me Scott even though he threw that first interception right in the end zone and he did have someone to dump it down to that was not yet in the end zone but once he made that mistake and he made that mistake early to me there was more pressure off of him than there was going in on him well um I think I said last week and I wrote it out to on Saturday to a bunch of friends and all that I I thought Tommy Reese was going to do what my offensive coordinator did at Green Bay my rookie year we were about to play the Bears and and Bart just couldn't go uh so what Bob Snelker the offensive coordinator at Green Bay did uh, was he shrunk the game plan down from 15 or 16 or 17 passes that Bart could easily handle and he shrunk them down to the six, seven, or eight that I could practice all week and get confidence in. And I went out and hit almost 60% of my passes against the Bears as a rookie, threw a touchdown pass to Carroll Dale, and also uh, got what you call a hot off to Donnie Anderson on a Bear Blitz that got us down for a field goal to win the game. So I think what Tommy did was the same thing with Jalen Milrow. He shrunk the game plan, particularly the passing part of the passing play part of the game plan down to the plays that uh, Jalen could execute in practice and get confidence in and go out in the game and complete. And when you complete passes, you, your confidence picks up. And I saw Milrow, despite the interception, which was a bad read on his part, but that's how you learn, uh, I saw him uh, improve in the second half. I will say Jace McClellan, 17 rushes over 100 yards. You either wanted to see him or Roy Dale continue to eclipse that 100-yard mark as we had Roy Dale rushing for over 100 yards against South Florida. And then you look at McClellan come in with over 100 yards this past week. And also what it does is it really gives confidence to your running game. And your offensive line, who a week ago against South Florida prior to this game had really struggled. And I think adjustments were made as Booker was back on the offensive line and kind of steadying that O-line. And to me, that makes a huge difference, even though now you're kind of still experiencing a little bit more as to where you want to go from an offensive line standpoint. Well, let's kind of think about what the offensive line did they got away from a lot of east west stuff and they started running north south and a friend of mine was over from europe uh, that's a senior advisor to nato to the strategic allied commander in europe and he play, had played football in college and so forth in high school and, and he said why don't they run north and south with those big offensive linemen they're obviously bigger and stronger than the Ole Miss defensive front. And sure enough, when they started going north and south, good things started happening. You look at left tackle Elijah Pritchett replacing freshman Caden Proctor and Terrence Ferguson the second checking in temporary 
for Darian Dalcourt, those changes to me can be vital. And when you find that chemistry on the O-line, when you are able to run north and south, when you are able to give your quarterback a little bit of protection so he can have confidence completing those intermediate and those deep balls, what a world of difference I think we'll see in the Alabama quarterback room. Well, as we've talked about and all the listeners to Talking Football that have been listening for now decades know that I often say the offensive line is not a group of individual positions like guard centers. It's one. It's just like going to see the Rockettes in New York. If one of them is out of the where that thing they do, that kick, if one of them is out of kick step, everybody sees it. Well, the offensive line is the same way. They perform as one or none. So in this case, I think the O-line sort of came together, particularly in north-south blocking. And as the game got along, it was obvious uh, that our line or Alabama's line was bigger and stronger than the uh, Ole Miss line. And and the the Ole Miss line would begin to wear down, which is, I think, what happened in the second half. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here on the Chavis Furniture Talking Football segment. And we do have a caller on the line. Caller, welcome to the Chavis Furniture Talking Football segment here on WNSP. Yeah. Hey, guys. I just had a question about uh, uh, Auburn running backs. I know since since Austin is down, do you think we basically get going to burn uh, Cobb's red shirt or will we see a little bit of Steven Jackson? And uh, second question, uh, we are thinking about, uh, about uh, Holden Griner. I think maybe he may get a shot at it. Uh, thanks. Great question. Thank you for calling in. As far as Auburn's running back room, we had Ronnie Brown. We had Ronnie Brown on earlier today on the final drive, and he talked about the depth that was positioned in this Auburn running back room and needing that depth as the SEC season progressed. But when you look at Austin's injury for Auburn, that takes out one of your backs that you've been playing. So do I think they burn a red shirt on someone? I probably would not burn a red shirt on someone in order to get the running back room stronger unless you felt they were going to be able to play for the rest of the season. And I know the NCAA has funny rules to where you can play in X amount of games and still take that red shirt year. So you do look at Brian Petit and Jarquez Hunter. I still think that those two guys are very capable backs. And when you add to me that third back for Auburn and Robbie Ashford having the ability to line up at quarterback and give you that dual threat ability if he's able to hit the intermediate and long balls that so far Peyton Thorne has not been able to hit. Holding Garner, I don't think is the answer for Auburn at quarterback right now. I I know he is third string for a reason, and that being Thorne, Ashford, and Garner. Will it hurt Auburn to put Garner out there in SEC games and contests? Probably not, because you're going to probably lose to Georgia anyway. You're going to have to give LSU all they can handle and probably lose that game as well. When you look at Auburn's schedule and the way it works itself out, you look at Georgia, 
at LSU, and then you have Ole Miss at Auburn, and Mississippi State at Auburn, Auburn at Vanderbilt. So not really any more cupcake games until New Mexico State. So to answer your question, do you burn that red shirt? You may get him a game in to see what he's going to do and then go from there. And Garner, it's Scott, it's amazing to the problems that Auburn is having at quarterback. Peyton Thorne, 6 out of 12 for only 44 yards in a game as the starting quarterback for Auburn. And then when he's running the football, sacked seven times, gives him negative 34 rushing yards. So wait a minute, was he sacked or was he, he was sacked. stopped at the he line of scrimmage? He was sacked seven yeah, sacked. times. Yeah. We don't so, really call that rushing, call that. I know the statistical, yeah, but when, when, when you're you sacked, look you're at sacked. It, yeah. it, I just think that, you know, if it doesn't matter who you line up at quarterback, if you're not going to protect them, that's one thing. And But to only complete six passes when you have the type of receivers that are in that room for Auburn, that's where fans start to get kind of frustrated because you have Shane Hooks and you have Rivaldo Fairweather. You have Jay Fair that are all dangerous wide receivers and very capable. But if you're missing the wide open throws, such as what we saw Jalen Miro at times, not read the defense and not go through his progressions, then it's probably time for Auburn to say, look, we're going to go ahead and give Robbie Ashford and Holden Garner an opportunity. But you would think with the experience that Peyton Thorne had at Michigan State, even though he was at Michigan State, that's not the SEC. You still were expecting more because he came to Auburn out of that transfer portal with experience from a squad like Michigan State. Yeah, to Modern college football now it just it starts with having a top-notch, top-tier quarterback, and that can perform at a, a really a high level. And that is just there's no getting a, away from that. The defensive coordinators are too good in the Southeastern Conference. The personnel in the Southeastern Conference, among the top-tier teams, the defensive personnel are too good, and a combination of those two two things good defensive coordinators and defensive coaches and good defensive personnel if you don't have a top tier quarterback it's tough it really is and on the other side here of the chavez furniture talking football segment we'll talk more about the alabama win over Ole miss the texas a&m win over auburn one that was only six to three at halftime auburn having a chance to really stay in that game and coming out flat in the third quarter ultimately was their undoing regardless of how flat the offense was chavis furniture talking football we'll be right back hey this is amari cooper you're listening to sports radio wnfp Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Chavis Furniture Talking Football with Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner on location this week. We're hope to catch up with him before we end the show. And I wanted Tracy to explain to me 
on the highlight I saw that night when I got back to the condo with Tuscaloosa, the touchdown Auburn scored. That, that the coach was out on the field and, and the player that was returning to, I guess, a fumble yeah. or something with the interception or it, fumble. It was, it was a, a, strip, a strip fumble, yeah. <laughs> and he ran between the coach and the sideline. Jimbo Fisher, he was ready uh, to play defense, guy. I've never seen that. You know, I think some coach got in the NFL got fined $100,000 back in the day for – being on the field and a play like that being getting between him and the sidelines. So I'm just kind of waiting to see what the Southeastern Conference is going to do to Jimbo regarding that. Well, you can bet your bottom dollar, Scott, that if he would have forced him out of bounds or the referee would oh. have had to blow an oh. inadvertent whistle, oh. yeah, you take six points off of the board there for Auburn at that point in time, man, there's not a fine large enough that would have been leveled to Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M dipping that oil money. In the rule book, and and some of the listeners can correct me, because back in the day, the, in the rule book, if a, if the officials, if that something like ha that happened where a player came off the sideline and tackled somebody running, obviously running for a touchdown and was going to score a touchdown, uh, I've never heard it about a coach, but this happened about Alabama back in the 50s. Um, Famous incident where a player came off the sideline and tackled a Rice player in a row in a bowl game. But they, the referees got to get an awarded, the, the awarded a touchdown to the offensive team. So I'm just curious hey, if, Scott, if they would have done that. It's called home with the 12th man. You know it's called <laughs> well, home with the 12th right, man. But he, the 12th man has to be in the stands, <laughs> not on the field. <laughs> that was a very interesting part of that. And I know uh, here on the sir. Chavis Furniture Talking Football. <laughs> Show we do have a caller on the line. Caller, good evening and thanks for calling in this afternoon. Okay, great. Look, I I missed some of the earlier part of the show, and I was just wondering, did you discuss how um, Melrose' uh, confidence has been improved and uh, and his overall performance in just this week? Well, yeah, and we talked about that. Uh, this is Jerry, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, um, and I, I, I pull up one of my old, I guess, listeners either like to hear this or uh, go, oh, gosh, here goes Scott with another one of those old stories. But my, my offensive coordinator at Green Bay, uh, when I was a rookie and I was going to have to start against the Bears down in Chicago, he, he shrunk the game plan down from, you know, 15, 16, or 17 passing plays down to six, seven, or eight that I could execute. And so I went out there and had a really good day hit Carol Dale for a touchdown, hit Donnie Anderson on a hot uh, hot versus the Blitz, and we were able to win the game. So I think what what Tommy Rees did a good job of Saturday and all week of practice was reducing the game plan uh, down to the, at least the passing play part of the game plan, down to the things that they could execute in practice and, and get their confidence up being Milrow. And he went out and, and with notwithstanding the interception he threw against the zone trap in the end zone, he had a pretty good day. What was he like, 16 or 17 out of 21 or two, One, yeah. something like that. So he had a he had a good day. Yeah. Now, now when you uh, cut that number of pass plays down, is there any consideration as to uh, like variety, or is it pretty much just the ones he can execute the best? Well, you give him. The, what you cut down is the 
the reads. Uh, if he's got 16, 17, or 18 things to prepare for and the reads associated with those, there's a lot of head work going on up there during the week. And if you don't get a lot of things practiced uh, on the practice field, you certainly can't get them or think that you can execute them on Saturday. So the more you can, like I at Green Bay practicing for the Bears, the more I could get done on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday, the better prepared I was to go out there on, on Sunday and execute. And I think that was the case with what Tommy Rees did with Jalen Milrow Saturday. Yeah, well, he wasn't facing Dick Butkus either. <laughs> ah, Butkus. You know, what's Butkus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he's only the best defensive player I ever played against. <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And also, like he, knew every one of the, he knew every one of the Green Bay Packer audibles that had been playing each other for, you know, 10 years. And every time yeah. I called an audible, he'd say, it's going over there. <laughs> I thought, how does he know that? <laughs> <laughs> all right hey uh, thanks the pleasure is always uh talk to you next week thanks for calling in 251-694-1055 251-694-1055 you can give us a call here on the chavis furniture talking football edition of the show and when you are auburn and coming off of this loss on the road and knowing that you're going to have the ability to play a tough stretch, you're going to have the number one team in the country coming in to Jordan-Hare Stadium. And, Scott, believe it or not, what do you think the point spread is in this Auburn-Georgia game? Um, when both teams come out of the tunnel and look up at the scoreboard, do you know what the scoreboard is going to say? At the beginning of the game, it's going to say 0-0. Zero, zero. Nothing to nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's the only damn thing I ever cared about when I came out of the Love tunnel. Point, point spreads and all that, that's for a bunch of gamblers and folks, uh, uh, you know, up in Enterprise or something to <laughs> talk about, think about. But it's nothing to nothing. And, so. and that's the mentality <laughs> so, that, that anyway. a lot of – that Auburn has mm -hmm. to approach. I mean, sure, you're only – when you're playing at home, and you're in the comfy confines of Jordan-Hare Stadium, and you have over 86,000 fans that are cheering you in the Deep South's oldest robbery. Anything can happen. We've seen that in the past. Auburn expected to lose by some two touchdowns in this game. But odds makers aren't the ones who play the game. They're yeah. not the ones who have yeah. to yeah. make the tackles or well, make the uh, well, throws. Corey, I tell you what, how much how much time we need to spend considering there's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's good stuff, and you know what it is. So we'll just let the gamblers out in Vegas uh, talk talk about the point spreads and all like that. We'll talk about how Auburn can beat Georgia. That's going to be huge. And Quarterback I, play to me. Exactly, and if if I. I haven't seen much of Georgia, but I don't think they've got the quality of quarterbacking that they've had over the, you know, with Stetson Bennett over the last three or four years. I don't think they've got that quality of quarterbacking. And I know the Auburn defensive staff obviously knows that, so they're going to probably try to put the quarterback in some bad situations, second long, third longs, and see, you know, how he reacts. And they'll have to gamble some for that. But that's okay. That's what you have to do uh, to win a game like that. But remember, you know, something that uh, 
I've recognized about Auburn over the years, and people will go, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're. When Auburn's back is to the wall, man, they come off the wall. And I've seen them do it to Alabama like that, and I've seen it to do, do it to other teams like that when their back was against the wall. It's just a, it's something about Auburn. Their defense has been extremely tough this season, has really kept them in pretty much every game that they played, whether it was California, whether it was this game. There you, you go. You do look at only giving up 87 rushing yards per game. Yeah. That's all that this Auburn defense is giving up. And you look at Georgia's leading rusher coming into this contest, Dejon Edwards, he comes in averaging 118 by himself. So I think that Auburn is going to turn Carson Beck into a passer, and it's going to be hard to run against this stout Auburn defense. And the defense, first half, gives Auburn a chance against AM because it's aren't only 6-3. to three. Aren't they leading? The, I know we are, we're early in the SEC schedule, but aren't they leading the SEC in – Yards uh, limited, you know, uh, per game. Yeah, per game or something. De defensively, in in rushing yards, yes. They're they're number one in they're the conference. They're really stingy. Yeah. Now, from a passing yardage standpoint, you know, Auburn is giving up 195 yards. Yeah, uh, that's not that. What, Corey? Where you really get killed in in SEC football if the other team is running the football, running the clock, and owning possession of the ball. But if you're limiting them to run the football, they can throw for 500 yards, and you can still win the game. I've done it. I threw for almost 500 against Auburn, but Auburn rushed for 350 yards and won the game. So I would prefer to t taking something. I'd prefer to go out there and rush for 250 or so or 300 yards if I had my druthers and throw for 180 or so and, and walk out of there with a win. The time of possession in the Texas A&M-Auburn game Auburn had it for 27 minutes and 45 seconds. A&M had it for 32 minutes and 15 seconds. So you do look at a slight advantage there for Auburn um, having time of possession a little bit more than Texas A&M. Texas A&M had it more or Auburn had it more? Auburn had the ball a little longer. 32 they did, minutes. 32 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's significant. And the, the biggest problem for Auburn besides not having an effective passing game on last Saturday – was they were only three out of fifteen on third down. Yeah, that that's what kills you is you got them you got to convert on possession downs. You got to be somewhere up around forty five or so percent uh, to win a close game like that. And unless they can pick that up, uh, well, you just got to pick it up. Without question, the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday edition on WNSP. 105.5 with Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner. We'll try to catch up with him, and we know he's not with us today. So if you are an Auburn fan and you would like to call in or chime in, 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us here on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football segment on WNSP 105.5. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. 
Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday on WNSP 105.5. Alabama 1-0 in SEC play. That's really What's important if you're an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, Jalen Milrow still at quarterback on the season has 674 passing yards, six touchdowns, and three interceptions, two of those coming against Texas. Of course, one of those coming in the end zone on a drive that was killed. And not only I want you to break that part of it down, Scott, to where Milrow really could have gone to another read on that play, but shotgun on first and goal. Which one are you talking about? The, we'll, we'll go. We'll the go with the interception. Yeah, okay, we'll go, go with the interception, the interception first. All right. Well, uh, I, I'm getting down the weeds here, so get your blackboard out there, listener. Gotcha. And they were in a zone, and the safety uh, is the one you're looking at uh, when you recognize it's what they call two coverage or a zone. The safety is who you're looking at, and the receiver is running what we call a post corner so he's going down about eight or nine yards and then he's going to the post and then as he gets the safety flat-footed he's going to do a 45 degree angle back to the corner when you've got to have the ball gone is not when he comes out of that break to the corner you've got to have the ball gone when you see the safety get flat and begin to respect the move he's making to the post you've got to have that ball in that spot back in the corner where he comes out of there and the ball is already halfway there. If you wait, the the cornerback is watching your eyes. And if he sees, he gets any uh, hint or head start that you're going to make that throw, he can fall back, what they call a trap. He can It's a zone trap. He can fall back and make the interceptions, which he did. Now, what you do when you come over there to make your throw if you see the cornerback falling back, obviously trying to uh, to trap, then you just drop the ball out to the receiver that's running the flare, and he catches the ball at the 8 or 9, 10-yard line. He might even score, but he gets down to the 2 or 3 or something of that nature. So you let the safety and the cornerback decide whether you're going to go to that spot in the end zone or you're going to drop it off to your running back out here. And, but Jalen learned on that play. He was late with the throw again, and the trap got him. So that's the way you learn. Uh, the next time that play is called, a type play, he will have learned from that experience how to read that trap on that side. Scott, you lined everybody, up. Everybody get their, uh, their blackboard I, hey, look, right on that? I, I got the X's and O's <laughs> down packed right there as far as from an analysis standpoint. And when you try to analyze as a quarterback, and you're on the goal line, especially first and goal from the one or two yard line. I've never been an advocate of being in the shotgun because now you're five more yards behind your line of scrimmage to where it's easier to gain a tackle for a loss or something bad to happen where you're not going to get positive yardage. Alabama, Nick Saban made jokes about it. He, it's a lesson learned for Tommy Reese and the offensive coordinator staff to, we're going to run the football when we're in that short goal line yardage situations. Well, 
you can just uh, I don't know this to attest that it was, but you can believe there was a come to Jesus talk uh, in the locker room at halftime amongst Coach Saban and Tommy. Um, and uh, offensive coordinators sometimes get too caught up in the play sheet they've got, the pre-planned play sheet. They get caught up in it. Oh, okay, on this play at that point in the field, we're going to run these plays rather than look down there and say, we've just blocked a punt. It's on the – I think it was even inside the one-yard line. If I, I was sitting there looking right down at it. And we got a 230, 40-pound quarterback. So let's just line up behind center and tractor him into the end zone for a, you know, for a sneak, for a touchdown. But sometimes quarterback – or offensive coordinators get stuck on the sheet and don't look out there and say, no, forget the sheet. We're just going to line up and run a quarterback sneak. Well, you know the the tip to what I'm saying is later in the game when they had a similar situation, they lined up behind center and ran a quarterback sneak. Yeah, you, you, do, you learn lessons. And that's one of the things that as an offensive coordinator, Scott, would you rather as a quarterback to know – or as a head coach looking at it, that your offensive coordinator is on the field like Lane Kiffin used to be or like Steve Sarkeesian at times, or that's when you kind of get a better feel for the game when you're up in the booth and you're still having your binoculars or still looking at where your play sheet is versus actually being right there on the field and and knowing because you're still able to communicate with your coaches on the headsets and know what they're being able to call, but – would you like your play caller upstairs or down there on the field in the action? Well, let's look look at it in this standpoint. I am I am the play caller. I want to be on the field. Now they can they can send down down distance situation. Uh, they can send it down to me on the headsets at the end of the previous play, real quick mm-hmm. to me, and uh, then I can look at my play sheet. But I've already got two or three or so plays worked out for that particular place on the field, uh, whether it's plus or minus yardage. So far, I've already got that kind of worked out in my mind. So I know what I'm going to call within three or so plays. And so I'd prefer to be on the, on the field. And that's kind of the Steve Spurrier. I'm in his camp on that. When he was head coach, he's the only guy I ever saw as head coach that could still call plays but he could do it from the field, and he did it just like we're talking about. He had already worked it out on Thursday and Friday, and he knew what he was going to call on Saturday in certain situations, at certain places on the field, and so forth. One of the great high school coaches here, Hall of Famer, state's all-time winningest high school football coach, Terry Curtis, is another one that calls the plays for UMS right without a play call sheet. He already has – he's the offensive sure. coordinator. He has the play sheet in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. And he already has that feel on the field, in the game, knowing what he wants to do but, in those situations. But I don't care what the play sheet says. When my my offense goes on the field after a blocked punt, we've got it inside the one-yard line. And there ain't going to be no snapping the ball five yards deep and handing it to a running back. He's got to run six yards to score from the one-yard line. Now nah, we ain't going to do that. Coach Yancey taught me at Viger, we don't pitch the ball back when we're at the one-yard line. We, we get the ball and we move forward with it. 
and we keep moving forward on the next play or the next play till we score. It, it really does drive you nuts as a fan, and you're sitting there yelling and screaming at your television, what What are we doing here in the shotgun situation on the goal line? I, I've just never been a fan, whether it's first and goal or oh, fourth and goal, and you're in the shotgun. You're totally right. I mean, yeah, it, you saw what you saw what can happen Saturday. Bad snap. Uh, then it's a slightly bad snap, and the quarterback doesn't handle it, and you saw it all go to you know where it went from there. <laughs> it went south. <laughs> it didn't go the way we wanted it to. Now and some people beside me had a kind of had a worse word than <laughs> south. <laughs> yes, they, I can understand that one too. And now this coming week, Alabama, it's is experienced quarterback, much dangerous than Jackson Dart, Will Rogers, one of those guys who was on the Reese's Senior Bowl watch list yeah. to to have a chance to make it to the NFL and he's one of the SEC's leading passers yeah, has he's not really for what, turned it over six touchdowns 900 almost, and yes, yards 979 yards offense? I guarantee he's right at the top there's only yeah. maybe one or two other quarterbacks that have thrown for as many yards as he has so far this season but Will Rogers is that type of quarterback to where he has a very accurate arm he can extend plays when you allow him to. Alabama was able to get home to Jackson Dart some five times. Dallas yes. Turner turns it up defensively from his defensive end or linebacker position. That's exactly what you're going to have to duplicate against Will Rogers to frustrate him. Yeah, I was very impressed with Jackson Dart. I mean, he's sitting there. I mean, one time he hit about, what, a third and 29 or something of that nature. I was, I mean, I was just astounded. Uh, he threw accurately, uh, but you know we had enough defense out there and enough defense at the right times, doing the right things, and particularly our our, our secondary playing man to man was just terrific. I mean, they must have had five or six man to man knockdowns of the ball that were just great plays, and the, and the pass rush on the on the edge with Dallas Turner and all was really good. So all in all, I thought the defense. Uh, set that game up to be won. Uh, it was you know, sort of an old-fashioned game. He was, what, 6-3 to three at halftime? And our defense just turned it up in the, in the second half, and Ole Miss just could not put two plays back-to-back, -back, successful plays back-to-back. -back. If you're at 7-6 to six at half and, and you have not scored that offensive touchdown with the miscues that were there, you, you kind of knew that the defense was going to make the adjustments. You knew that the offense was going to make the adjustments. And Mississippi State is a tough place to play. Starkville, Mississippi, the cowbells go to clanging and banging. They still use those cowbells? A time or two. I, I thought I, that was illegal. It, it, it was supposed to be outlawed. I, but imagine, um, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, when you have as such a small stadium as they do, you need all the artificial noise that you can handle. But it does get kind of loud there in Starkville, Mississippi. The Alabama Crimson Tide, 14.5-point favorites as well. And as we conclude here in our last segment of the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday edition, we'll break down a little bit more the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs going into Jordan-Hare and Alabama taking on Mississippi State. You want to give us a call, 251-694-1055. That's how you can reach us also here on the Tuesday edition of the Chavez Furniture Talking Football segment. 
Andrew Zell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSP 105.5.